We are continuing and actually finishing our series on discipleship, essentially. To not lose the plot, to follow Jesus in our day, in a day and age of fictions. Our goal, we've said many times throughout this series, is to help you move deeper into life in God through Jesus Christ, by following Jesus. And, and so far, we've, we've looked at the different ways that we as a church help facilitate that discipleship. What, what we do as a church to keep discipleship, helping you follow Jesus at the core of who we are. We've looked at what we do when we gather here on Sundays at the gathering. Uh, we've, we've looked at why we do groups and the role of groups of those kind of small tribes of people in our lives that we do life with and how they help us follow Jesus by reorienting us to what is true. And then we looked last week at the grind, those daily habits and, and throughout the week, the patterns and the rhythms, the disciplines of our life that help us to follow Jesus in the workplace, in the classroom, in our neighborhoods, 24-7. Today, though, we're going to look at one final context, one final G, and that is in going. Going. As we've seen just here in this passage that Jesus says, pray that there will be labors for the harvest. And he says this to his 12 disciples right before he sends them on their first missionary journey, it's called, their first outreach. In other words, you're probably sitting right now going, oh, it's a sermon on evangelism. Yes. Now, it's not fully. Now, here's the thing. The harvest is not merely just, just speaking the gospel. The harvest also has to do with how you intentionally in the businesses that you build. The way that you interact in the classroom, the way that you interact online, the way that you interact and serve your neighbors, the way that you lead your home. Like, there is a harvest, and there are many ways that we engage, but specifically here, what Jesus is going to be highlighting is how we reach the lost, how his people, if they're going to follow him, they reach those who are lost and who are far from him. They help them come to know him. Now, I know as soon as I begin talking about evangelism, uh, you begin thinking about all the awkward things, and, and also uh, you begin kind of, and here's what I want to do. We've talked many times here at Anthem about kind of having a heart for those around us, and we're going to touch on that today. But I want to come at it from the angle of what role does going, what role does it play? Going into the harvest, what role does it play in our discipleship? And we'll see that's absolutely vital if we're to grow, to go deeper. I remember I realized this dynamic in one of the most awkward evangelism uh, events of my life. Uh, I was an undergrad. I went to the Ohio State University. Always want to sneak into the. And uh, in the middle of the campus, there's what's called the Oval. It's about, I don't know, six, seven times bigger than the quad here at Mizzou. It's massive. It's gigantic. And just like the quad here at Mizzou, in the springtime, it looks like a beach, right? And everyone's out laying out. And so we would often go out onto the oval and we would share the gospel. You know, it's like, well, let's just be awkward, right? So we would just walk up to people like, hey, can we talk about spiritual things? Can we talk about, can we talk about Jesus? You know, just whatever awkward intro line, like, can we, can we talk about this? And I remember I went around and it was about for an hour and, and I was with my friend Ricardo. Ricardo was uh, one of the co-leaders of our Bible study in our dorm. And 
I, I, you know, had some good conversations. There was a little bit of follow-up that I could do with some folks. They're going fairly well. And so I'm waiting to the kind of at the edge of the oval, waiting for Ricardo to get done. He gets done with the conversation. And he looks up and he begins walking towards me. And he's walking briskly, big smile on his face. And as he gets about, I don't know, 50 yards from me. Now remember, we're packed, all these students are out there. We're the weirdos walking around talking about Jesus to people, right? And then Ricardo's about 50 yards away from me, and Ricardo's got this sweet smile, and he can't hold it in. He goes, Dennings, we got one. <laughs> and it was just one. I was like, no, like, that's great. But maybe act like you've been here before, Ricardo. Like, don't, like, don't just yell that. But here's why I tell that one. Not only because that was, it was just one of those moments everyone, like, looks at us, and I was like, hey, this is my friend. Uh, but I tell you that because what was interesting was that year, that spring, I remember in the fall, Ricardo had just come to know Christ. He had, it just really began following, just like me. And I remember at the beginning of the year when we kind of learned this, we were beginning to just learn the basics of our faith. We were beginning to learn the Bible, beginning to look, read whatever books we could to understand it better, beginning to pray, beginning to uh, learn to do relationships with others and, and have accountability in our lives for, for uh, behaviors and things like that that we're trying to do to grow. I remember, though, when I had a discipler who would just say, let's share the gospel, and Ricardo and I were like, no. And, and what was interesting was as though we would go and we would share the gospel, we found over time through, you know, the hard conversations. Also seeing people kind of going, man, I actually, I'm always wondering about this, but no one will ever talk about it, which is way more common than what you think. And, and people wanting to find questions or answers, and kind of our, our common thing we came back to is, I'm not going to say I have all the answers. I do think this book, this Bible, it does have the answers that we're looking for. And so then we'd, we'd mine scripture, and I would learn things. People would ask questions. I'm like, actually, I'm asking that question too. And we go deeper with those hard questions and find God's word speaking to it. We would see lives transformed, people coming to know Christ, their just freedom from all kinds of dependencies and things in their life. And, and over time, what happened was it just deepened this sense of the real life that we're given in Christ. And here we are by the spring, Ricardo and I, two guys who were at the beginning were like, why in the world would we share this? And what we're finding is by the spring, Ricardo was like this machine, like he was sharing the gospel with everyone. And at this point, Ricardo's just bubbling over that. He would yell 50 yards in front of all these students. His excitement just comes out like, we got one. Like someone, and, th and that person actually came to faith. They grew up and they became just like Ricardo sharing the gospel. And there was this like cycle of going deeper into the life of God in a very tangible way, of all the things that we knew, of all the things that we would say. But it became more real. And see, here, here's, that's how going into the harvest is meant to work in our lives. The, the line that I, I kind of, to describe this is what Ricardo and I discovered was that we go deeper into the heart of God by going outward into the harvest. If you want to go deeper into your experience of God, if you want to go deeper into the heart of God, then you've got to go where the heart of God is looking, where the heart of God is going, and that is into the harvest. And the more you engage in the harvest, the more tangible and deeper your sense and your experience of going deeper and deeper into the life of God. So today, this last in this series about discipleship, the, the final G, the final context in which we we do discipleship, and one of the most pivotal for deepening our relationship with God, and it's kind of out of left field. We don't expect that this would be it, but it's one of the keys to maturing is going into the harvest. So we're going to look at first how going into the harvest, how it changes us. 
Second, we're going to look at how uh, we're going to assess how our discipleship is going. We're going to assess where we're at as disciples in relation to this idea of engaging with the harvest. And maybe I'll kind of give some dynamics, give us handlebars to understand where we're at. And then lastly, we're going to look at next steps for going into the harvest. What are some steps that we see here in this passage for following Jesus in the harvest? So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. Lord, we thank you first and foremost, uh, Lord, that you have opened our eyes, that you've called us to yourself, that you've given us your grace. And, and Lord, we, we thank you that we are found people. And Lord, as found people, may we be people who find people. Uh, who go and overflow with the life, the joy, the peace, the grace that you've given us, and that we would look up and we would see. As, as here, you look up and you see. You know. You discern. And then your heart moves with compassion. Lord, would, would we be people who look up and we see rightly, and we're moved towards compassion, and we're moved towards speaking. Move towards engaging, move towards moving towards rather than just running away or avoiding. Lord, we thank you also that you say there is a harvest. Lord, in every generation there is a harvest. It may look different. Surely it looks different. But there is always a harvest. And Lord, we thank you that you invite us into that work that you are doing. And in doing so, into your very heart. And so, Lord, would you give us a vision for that? In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how going into the harvest, how it, it changes us. Look again, I just want to read the passage really quick, these few verses, Matthew 9, 35 through 38, one more time. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The disciples, until this point, Matthew's gospel, have been following Jesus. They've been coming to know him. They love him. They have an affection for him. They're following him. They're obedient. They know, love, and obey. And now Jesus is getting ready. If you look down in 10, verse 5, uh, it says, you know, 10 verse 1, he called these 12 disciples to himself. He gave them authority. And then verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out. That's when Jesus first sends them out to share the gospel. What's going on? What's happening here underneath this? God is a God who has called us into relationship with him. If we're going to be in relationship with anyone, let alone God, then we have to relate to them as who they are, not as how we wish they'd be. We must relate to them, not as, as we wish they would be, and we want them to be, but as they are. And here what Jesus says is, my Father, He is the Lord of the harvest. How often does God take on a definition like that of Himself to say, if you want to describe me, one way to describe me is I am Lord of the harvest. My very heart, my very being as God, full of perfections, is that my eyes are on. I am focused with all of my being on the harvest. I am focused on redemption. I am focused on reconciliation. I am focused on every man, woman, child, every demographic, every 
age, every class, every generation, I am focused on them coming to know me and being reconciled to me. And therefore, if we want to know God, just like these disciples, if they want to go deeper in that relationship, it means they must follow him into the harvest. And as they follow him into the harvest where God is, not where we often wish him to be, which is in the comforts, in the kind of hiding away, in the cocoon. But if we want to know him, he is the Lord of the harvest who is found in the harvest. And he says, follow me into the harvest. It's a pivotal part of knowing me. And as we'll see here, as they've been following Jesus in the harvest and following him around, it fundamentally changes them. Because as you follow Jesus and you have those hard conversations, as you come across hard hearts, what happens is you come up against truths about God and they reveal the fictions and the assumptions that we relate to God in. So what I mean by that is just go back to the beginning of chapter 9. I'm just going to, chapter 9, the chapter before this, the context leading up to this, when Jesus calls them, they've been following Jesus around. And, and what happens is, because here's the thing, Jesus is, any teachers here, pedagogy, there's a great word, Jesus' pedagogy, his teaching method. Jesus' teaching method is to teach as they go. At no point does Jesus say, for three years, time out, let's go into a classroom, and that's what we're going to do for the three years. Jesus teaches as they do life and as they go into the harvest. He's been doing it the whole time. Now he's just making it explicit. And as they've been going, they've been learning. So just a few things, and, and think about how this relates to our lives. So at the beginning of chapter 9, you have the, the scene with the, the paralytic who's let down by his friends. Everyone's crowding into this room. There's no ability to get to Jesus who's teaching. All these crowds are drawn. And, and so they cut a hole in the roof, and they let down their friend who's a paralytic on a mat, and, and Jesus says, rise up and walk. Your sins are forgiven. And everyone around, they, they begin to go, what do you mean his sins are forgiven? Who has power to forgive sins? And what the disciples realize in that moment is this is Jesus who has the power to forgive sins, and that spirit spiritual healing is as powerful as helping someone who's never walked get up and walk. The freedom that is there. And that idea that's in their head, that's floating around there, this theoretical, just like in our heads, that Jesus forgives sins, Jesus is God, all these things, they land with the crushing, freeing reality that he does free, he does heal, he does forgive, and it is the deepest need that we have layer of the onion is peeled back and they go deeper. Then after the paralytic, then he calls Matthew a tax collector, right? In the ancient world, everyone hated the tax collector. And frankly, we still do, right? Like, no one likes tax collectors. And so they would go and they would scheme and they would they'd skim off the top. They would essentially ru uh, ruin people financially and take money from them, more money than what even the government was collecting. And so these were people who were schemers. These were the scum of this society. And when Matt, Jesus calls Matthew, you can just sense in the passage all the disciples going like, him? Do you have anyone in your life that you think is so far beyond the grace of God? Them? That guy on the floor, that girl on the floor, that guy who just, who, that boss, that neighbor, the one who never does their lawn, right? On and on, who are the people who are the untouchables? Jesus goes to the untouchables. It's one thing to know theoretically about God's grace and forgiveness and about the fact that we've received forgiveness, but it's a whole other thing to realize that there but for the grace of God, there go I, 
and God's grace reaches to everyone. Peels back layers of self-righteousness in how we relate to God. And then there's this little piece where he teaches about new, uh, bringing in new wine, and we need new wineskins versus pouring into old wineskins because as it ferments, it would burst the wineskins. And, and it's this, if you thought about it in today, why does he insert that in there? Because in every generation, there is a new work of God that God brings. And so, yes, oftentimes things do change. Things change in how we engage. Things change in how we do church. Things get in order to reach that next generation. And here's the other thing. As we go and follow God into the harvest, often we realize that God does completely different works that break down our walls and do unexpected. He does unexpected things and goes to unexpected places. And so the ways that we do church and the models and the, the areas that we think this is clean, that's unclean. Guess what? Jesus is running in there before us and he leads us there and we realize God goes even there to every generation and breaks down every wall, breaks down all of our preconceived assumptions. And, and then after the wineskins, then there's this ruler whose daughter is dying, and Jesus comes to him, this man who has everything, the man who has power, the man who has the stuff, the man who has the, the, the career and the success and the accolades and everyone, this is a ruler, and he comes up and he's broken because he says, but I can't heal my daughter. The one thing I wish I could do, I can't do. And here's the thing, we look at everyone around us and their highlights on Instagram and whatnot, and we go, maybe they don't really need the gospel. When right underneath the surface, there are so many areas of brokenness and such a void where they're starved for true power, for true riches, for true life. And, and we just walk on past, and Jesus goes to every class of people because also then an elderly woman who's been a discharge of blood, it says, you can, to him who has ears to understand. And she comes up and just touches Jesus out of the crowd, and he feels the power go out of him, and he heals her from the ruling class into the widower who has, has no power in that society. Jesus heals Completely the same. Makes no distinction. There are people in our lives that it's like, I wouldn't want them to touch me. There are people in our lives that we think, man, if I could just be them, then I would actually have a taste of salvation. Peels back those layers. He heals a blind man, and they say, don't you know this man is cursed in the ancient world? If someone was born blind, it would have meant that there was something, their parents, them, something about them that was like an extra level of evil, innately cursed, beyond redemption. Again, who do we assume is beyond God's grace? And you can imagine the disciples, when Jesus walks up to that person, that they all go, well, he's, he's just cursed. Let's keep going, Jesus. Let's, let's go. It's time for lunch, right? Let's keep going. It's time for the next meeting. It's time for the next, it's time for the next church event. It's time for, for us to get together and, and us to do some other good. But Jesus steps right up to the man who's cursed that everyone walks by, and they say, why would you even offer it to him? And he says, because it's for everyone. No one is cursed beyond redemption. And we in our lives, again and again, we realize when we'll follow Jesus in the harvest and we'll look up with Jesus' eyes and slow down. We realize that just so many of these things, as we go, it changes us as we engage because we realize as we engage all these faulty assumptions and fictions that we're operating out of. And Jesus is saying, none of those matter. What matters is what I've given you and what I will give them. And it removes all these calcified assumptions that we have. 
so that we engage with Jesus and he sees Jesus throughout the chapter. They see him seeing how people are harassed and helpless. How they're led astray and they're sheep without a shepherd. And he responds not with just, just ridicule, not with just walking by, not just with ignoring, not just with seeing them as some kind of an inconvenience, but we see him responding with power and conviction and mercy and grace and forgiveness and love and touch. And there's something about when we follow Jesus into those conversations, when we follow Jesus into those situations, that then when we come out of them, there's something like a layer of an onion that's pulled back on our soul where we go, I thought I knew that, but now I get it. I really get it. By going into the harvest, we go deeper into the heart of God as we go out into the harvest. See, it changes us. We talk, we've, again and again, our mission as a church is to help you know, love, and obey Jesus. We want to all help one another. I need help with that, by the way. It's not me helping you. It's God helping us as a community to know, love, and obey Jesus in deeper and deeper ways for a lifetime of deepening in knowledge and love for Him and obedience to Him. And when we go out into the harvest, we always, there's always a chart during this service, right? Because it's helpful. The way that going out is it helps us in that knowledge of Jesus, because as we go out, what it does is it deepens a conviction. We, we have this conviction of who Jesus is. We come to know him, and we learn things, and we hear of his grace. We have a conviction when we experience in community of our, our sins being forgiven, of, of the things that keep coming up that not just heaping shame, but, but heaping on grace until there's freedom and walking and increasing Christlikeness and holiness and freedom. And as that conviction comes and we, we know of God's grace and we know of the beauty of it and we know of his love, then what that leads to is then this love and this conviction for everyone else around me doesn't have that. And so it leads outward with this love for others, just like with Jesus here, of compassion. Of, of not just walking around self-righteously and just saying, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out, inconvenience, maybe I'll give you some time. Like, it's walking around with eyes that just are eyes, a lens of compassion. Like Jesus here of saying there, there is a helplessness, there is a, a harassment that's going on in souls that of, of what the enemy is doing, of what even you could say economic forces do, of what societal forces do, of all. We could go on and on. By the way, when we get in the winter, it looks like we're going through the book of Exodus, and that's going to be a big theme we're going to go into there, finding deliverance in an age of exploitation. But there's a compassion. There's a seeking understanding, which we're going to come back to. And that leads to obedience in terms of once you have that compassion, then that sense of calling. That everyone in our lives, is not, they're not there by accident. People are there because they're, they're divine appointments. That God has placed them there in, your, in the cubicle, in the classroom, in the neighborhood, the city. God has placed the people around us because he's calling us to them. And what happens is we develop that calling that out of that compassion, we have this burden a, a care, and, and it leads where you have that burden for others, and your heart breaks, and you get closer and closer and draw near to them, and you understand, and you, you build that relationship. There's that sense of calling that this is the harvest, this person, this soul. What more eternally significant thing could you give your life to? 
to seek the freedom and the joy and the peace and the life of a soul to know Christ forever. As we go into the harvest, and see, it's almost like a cycle because what happens then is as we, we experience that and that calling, and, and yes, sometimes it, it, doesn't, it doesn't go smoothly, they reject it, or it's just an ongoing conversation. Sometimes this is a process of, if it's somebody you really know, a family member, this could be decades. This could be a lifetime. It's not, this isn't to give like, oh, there's a simple solution. You say something, and then people are like, well, I didn't know that. Oh, how do I pray a prayer, right? Like sometimes this is a lengthy process. Sometimes it's messier. But what happens is in the midst of the hard conversations, it drives you deeper into God's word. In the midst of hard, encountering hard hearts, it, it drives you deeper into prayer. It drives you deeper into God. And that cycle begins anew where then your conviction is deepened and then therefore your compassion broadens. By going into the harvest outward, we go deeper into the life that Jesus is promising us in himself. Now, with that, then, before looking at how do we go out into the harvest, we have to assess how our discipleship is going. Again, look at verse 37. It says, then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, if you can imagine the disciples are sitting there, and he's like, hey, disciples, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And they're saying, they're like, is he talking about us? Right? <laughs> like, like, I've always found this interesting that the disciples are there, and he's saying the labors are few, and he's about ready to send them. And, and so he says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And they're like, okay, let's pray. And he's like, <clears throat> you're supposed to be the laborers who go, right? Like, there, there's something here about kind of a moment. I, I think there's kind of a moment of decision that's happening here for the disciples, because a moment of assessment. Because he's going to send them in a moment, in a few verses, this is setting that up. They're going to be the first of the laborers sent into the harvest. But you can imagine for the disciples, seeing they're going, wait, you're, now we're going to go. The moment, if I said right after this, we're all going to, I don't know, go downtown and start sharing the gospel. We all feel something, right? If it's just after this, you'll, you'll have to somehow have that conversation with somebody you know you've been putting off. We, we feel something. And, that, and that's because what we feel that tension, which is we want to go deeper into the life of God, but as we go deeper into the life of God, that means we have to go out into the harvest. And so our discipleship usually finds itself in a tension between those two things, wanting to go deeper in intimacy in the life of God, and then on the other hand, going out into the harvest and laboring. And so, it creates, whenever I have two tensions like that, it creates a two-by-two, two, which helps us think about where we're at in our discipleship. These can be helpful categories just to think in terms of, instead of being a disciple, if we're low in our engagement with God, and we're low in terms of engaging the harvest, our discipleship, what we'll feel more innately is not being a disciple, but being a drifter. What this means is that we may actually not even be really engaging with God. Like, and this is what a lot of this series has been about so far. How do we engage with God in our daily life? How do we engage with God in terms of within the church? But you may be in a place where you say, I, I've identified as a Christian, but, but if I'm honest, I've kind of been going through the motions. I've been kind of saying the right things. Maybe you have two lives, kind of your church life, right? And then your Friday night life, right? And if you're honest, you're kind of drifting. 
you're not really anchored in God, and also because there isn't that, that deep connection to God, there isn't developing that conviction and that compassion for those around you. And so life is kind of in an aimless place. And the, and the issue is if we stay there thinking that we're disciples, but staying in this place of being drifters, what happens is after a while, we just kind of drift and we drift aimlessly until eventually we just think, actually, I think I tried that thing and it kind of inoculates us. And then we walk away thinking, actually, that, that whole thing was just kind of, there was really not much there. It was almost kind of this boring thing because we're drifting. We're not really following. Uh, but then let's say, man, I'm engaging with God, and, and that's going well, but, but I'm not engaged in the harvest. That's what we call a dreamer. Now, I'll say this is my default. This is where I'll tend to, I'll tend to fall into, which is this place where it's like, man, I'm, I'm reading Scripture. I'm, I'm praying. I'm really trying to, you know, find good community and be in relationships with others as far as in the, in the church and and, and I'm doing a lot of really healthy things. Like, by and large, like I'm, there's, there's not, like, hidden sin habits or anything, like, or at least those are things that I'm confessing to others and I'm walking with, I have accountability. Like, you're really trying to follow Christ. Like, this, this is, a, in many ways, a very helpful place to be, but oftentimes we stop there with our discipleship. And what happens is we begin to see the world around us, and we kind of analyze what's going around us, and we kind of dream of how God would work. We dream of how God would break down walls. We dream of how God might reach into the life of my, my father or my friend or my my the, the person next to me at work, and, and I dream about those things, but then I never actually take those steps because guess what? It's kind of the moment where God every time is saying, hey, you should probably uh, pray for laborers. <clears throat> and it all becomes kind of theoretical. It all becomes something that we go, man, God should work there. I know, because if, if you engage with God, that conviction goes up, and then you see the problems in the world around you, right? Christians are real good. I'm real good at being the, the analyst, critically being able to define everything around me, how it's so far from God, and then dreaming of what could happen if that would change. And it becomes theoretical, and eventually it becomes perhaps God is powerless. And then after a while, it seems hopeless. And so what started as a dream actually can eventually spiritually become kind of a nightmare. It's not discipleship. It's, it's staying in a dream. Now, on the other hand, then maybe there's kind of high engagement with the harvest, kind of engaging with culture, contending for Christ, but not really walking closely with God. This is what we call the diplomat. See, this is where you really will contend for the cause and usually, especially in terms of Christians, we'll, we'll contend for some kind of a cause. We'll especially contend for some kind of, like, let's say, Christian morality. And so we're willing to go out there and knock on doors. And, and honestly, where this usually comes up is it gets partisan and it gets more political. It's like there's a cause I can engage with, and I'll go knock on doors to fight for the candidate, but I'm never going to even walk over and have that hard conversation to talk about a savior. And so what happens over time is it, it seems like perhaps the gospel actually doesn't have the resources that the world needs, and instead, some cause, some personality, some kind of something that I'm really good at that everyone else needs, right? Like, that thing is the thing that will actually change the world, and what it does over time is communicates to us a different gospel. Because it's not just what we share, it's what we begin to believe. Because as we go out into that harvest, we go deeper into our fiction. 
And, and then over time, it seems that, and, and it's not bad to engage in those things. It's just to say that if that's the only way that we engage, what can happen is because we actually don't really believe that the gospel is the true source of salvation, and whatever that causes is. So do you find yourself in one of those three? Because obviously, the, the fourth is discipleship. It's what it looks like to be a disciple. That as we go out into the harvest, it deepens that conviction, and as we as we are, are going out and we're having those discussions and that conviction is evening because we have that compassion and we're having those conversations, it drives us deeper into the heart of God and that cycle begins anew. And we realize when we're talking to people and they're asking honest questions of why, why would I believe that? Why would I live my life that way? And we're going, man, I don't know. And we're going back and we're finding answers and we're having those conversations. We're praying to God and we're, we're, all these things are driving us back into the heart of God because he is at work and there is a harvest. The disciple engages in the harvest and engages with God. And it's this cycle of ever more Christ-likeness, of ever deepening life in God. So how do we begin to take those steps? Because my guess is, if, if you're like me, most of us aren't like, I'm in the disciple, nailed it, right? How do we take steps further into the harvest? How do we take steps further into the harvest? Uh, the first one that Jesus, what, notice what Jesus does here. 36, when he saw the crowds. He sees them. Think of how profound, let me put it this way. The God of the universe who, this morning, I get up, I'm an early riser, and I was outside, and because of the cold, I don't know if you know, if you're up early enough, the stars are unbelievable this morning. The one who was like, they're going to call this Orion's belt, and I'm going to hang some stars right here, and it's going to be crazy. Who makes the sunrise? who designs everything down to the human eye and, and a baby's giggle, who gave us love and intimacy, physical touch, the God who created all the greatest music, on and on and on. He sees you. All the planets, all the kingdoms, all the wealth, all the entertainment, all the things. And his eyes, he sees you. And not just kind of the surface where it's like, well, you see me, hi. <laughs> he sees underneath the surface to the soul, to the real you. He sees me more than I can know me. He sees you more than you can know you. And it moves him towards compassion. See, there's, there's a you that Jesus sees and he calls us. He says, when I, I've, I've, you almost think of it this way, to speak in humanly terms. I've slowed down enough to see you. Do you see those who I placed around you? Do you just see the surface level stuff, right? On, the, on one hand, where we're, we live in an age where everyone gets to project their highlights. Everyone seems fine, right? 
But do we see below the surface to see the you? Or sorry, to see the them? (laughs) To see what Jesus sees, to actually know someone, to listen to them, to understand them. And here's why this matters, because it means that, because Jesus has moved to compassion because he sees that they're helpless, they're harassed, they're led astray like sheep without a shepherd. There's a phrase that we've been using lately, and staff team we've been talking about, I've been using it with friends, where do we care enough to understand the inner logic, the life story of someone, of why there's this harassed and helplessness, why they've been willing to be led astray? In other words, there's an inner logic to probably how they're living their life that is finding a wrong solution outside of Christ. There's probably a logic to it. It could have been hypocrisy they saw in the church. It, it, it could also just be that they've never, they've always been given kind of other, other remedies that are, are far from the gospel, but they're remedies that in some ways work. There could just be pain and hurt and guilt that they're, they're running from because they don't know what to do with it. Because ultimately, if you don't have the God of the universe who's going to forgive you and you don't have that solution, then where do you run with it? Because wherever I run with it, my conscience bears witness that he's there. Jesus sees beneath the surface to see the soul, to understand the inner logic. And he says, you're helpless, you're harassed, you're being led astray, but I see you. Paul said in Acts 17, we come back to this a lot at Anthem, but he's giving the speech on Areopagus, and he says, every human being, God has ordained their comings and their goings. There are allotted dwelling places where they live, their commute to Starbucks, and then through the drive-thru, and then over to VU, right, or down to campus, and you intersect with them. And he says, along their way in those dwelling places and their comings and their goings, he says, they're reaching their way towards him. Feeling their way towards him, he says. It's this picture that Paul gives of blindly seeking and trying to find, like just groping along, going, man, maybe, maybe the experience that I had of Maybe it's my earthly father, my earthly mother, or this harshness, or something in my past, and now, yes, I'm groping along, because maybe then I'll find a man who won't do that to me, and I keep going from man to man, because I'm trying to find what ultimately, there is a father there. Why do I want a good man? Because there's a better man. But I'm trying to find it in all these places, and I'm just groping along, hoping the next thing will be it, the next purchase, the next raise, the next promotion, the next whatever that thing is, the next kind of time that someone goes, wow, the next time somebody hits the like button on something I post. These are, a lot of these can be our souls searching, feeling, and there's an inner logic to where that's going. And he's, Paul's saying, you are in people's life if you know Christ to be able to say, I, neighbor, neighbor, I see, and this is actually who you're looking for. But you have to see them and know them and listen to them in order to then be able to say that's the place, the pain point, where they ultimately are looking for Jesus and trying to find him. And the question for us is, do we see? Do we see? It's the first step. 
The second one is prayer. We as a, Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. We could say many things about prayer here. We could say, uh, highlight the power of prayer. We could talk about uh, how it deepens our intimacy with God. We could just say it's commanded. We could say it brings God joy that we would pray to him as Lord of the harvest. And we say, we're all about the harvest too and pray to him. There are all kinds of things. Here's where I, the angle I want to come at to it though is why pray or why pray? New angle. Here's how I'm going to say it. You'll learn why you need to pray if you'll take the step into the harvest. Oftentimes we don't realize why we need prayer because we're disengaged. And, and there aren't souls that we're pursuing. There aren't the situations that God wants to call us into, and that could be sharing our faith, that could just be serving someone, that could be a lot of different situations that God is calling us into, but we like to avoid those because, let's be honest, we all like to avoid pain and discomfort. And so we're disengaged, but then we're, we're like, well, why would I pray? Well, if you're, if you're over here and you're engaged and you're realizing there are hard hearts that you're engaging with or difficult situations or just a need for resources that you can't overcome or whatever that may be or just how it, you know, kind of your emotional state, whatever those things are, then you realize your dependency, your frailty, and you go to God. But also what God does is God says pray for laborers, like laborers around you to reach the same people you're reaching. You know the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child? Well, you could also say it takes a village to redeem a soul. Paul said, I plant, Apollos watered, but God provided growth. Paul's saying it wasn't just me, there were others around. We pray for laborers because ultimately there are friends and family members and people who God calls us to, but we're not the only people who are actually called to reach them. This actually, so earlier in the week I was working on this. This is not an exaggeration. Okay, I love stories like this because like, oh, that'll preach. Uh, so I was preparing this and I was pondering this. My buddy calls, he has a client who can't go into, uh, just some difficulties with a client, but wanted to lead them to Christ and, and share his faith with them, you know, in a professional setting. That's, that's, you have to be careful, be shrewd in how you do that. So he was doing that, but it was really difficult. Wasn't sure how to really like get it there and, and be able to, and she was being really def deflective on it. And so he was like, so I was like, well, I'll be, I'll be praying for you in that. So when I got phone, I was like, okay, no, I'm actually going to pray. And I prayed, Lord, send laborers to the harvest. No, not, no exaggeration. Six hours later, I'm at wrestling practice with my son. He calls me. He goes, dude, guess what? I was like, what? Because like, this is crazy. I got, like, two hours ago, she calls me. She, a few hours ago, had a friend, like this old friend, calls her out of nowhere, starts talking to her, and he's become a Christian he begins talking to her and shares the gospel with her. She calls me and then says, you know, you were talking about this stuff. And then they have this, and she's like, so she brings it back up and they have this amazing conversation and she's on the edge now of coming to Christ. Every person there has a different role as a laborer. You have a role as a laborer to be praying, and sometimes God will move you to come in at this point, and sometimes he'll move you to come on at this point, but it takes a village to redeem a soul. And so pray for laborers of the harvest and go, God, would you send more laborers to my dad? Would you send more laborers to my mom? Would you send more laborers to my roommate? Would you send more laborers to my boss? Would you, would you send more laborers to me? You know, it's like pray, pray, and God takes delight in doing it. Lastly, then is to labor. 
Why does Jesus use this terminology of labor? Laboring. Well, obviously, it's an agricultural metaphor. What, what Jesus is saying is that you're, it tells us what we do and also sets our expectations when we go into the harvest. What we do is we labor. We, we, we till the ground. We ask questions. We build a relationship. We, we sow seeds. We speak truth. We ask good questions to draw out. It's a, it's a, harv- it's a, a harvesting type laboring. And it's an agricultural metaphor because it takes time, and that sets expectations. That oftentimes you will, you'll sometimes have a conversation and boom, you see a life changed. But ultimately, or usually, what happens is you're going to plant seeds, you're going to have conversations, you're going to water. I've always said Jesus uses agricultural metaphors because, frankly, it's not real sexy to watch the grass grow. It seems like work that every day you do. Is anything really happening? But what Jesus promises here is he says there is a harvest in every generation. And if you do labor, the seed will sometimes be choked out by thorns. Sometimes it won't sprout up. But over time, what you will see overall is you will see at one point, unexpectedly usually, family members you've been walking with for decades. Story of my dad. Friends who you've been praying for for years. Is anything really growing? And then all of a sudden, one day, there's just a bloom. And life bursts forth. Kind of the, it's like the coin is in there, but the coin finally drops, right, in the vending machine. And there's this moment in the harvest where all of a sudden this bloom comes forward, and what Jesus is saying is, the expectation is, I am the Lord of the harvest. I am sovereign over it. Trust me. Come to me. Pray for labors, but keep putting your hands to the plow. Keep casting seeds. Keep tilling the soil. Keep watering. Keep being intentional. Keep seeing them and asking questions and serving and moving towards them. Don't run away from the harvest, but there is always a harvest. Continue laboring every day. Get up and labor, because eventually, trust me, there will be a bloom, and there will be fruit, and it will be abundant. So Jesus is saying, don't give up on laboring, trust me, and labor in the harvest. We want to be a church who not just our, our vision as a church is not just that we would, I don't know, just get a whole bunch of people in, in a building. This isn't even a very nice building, okay? Like, it's, we get something fancier, right? Like, we want to see disciples going out and laboring. We want to pray. We should be praying as a church that across all the churches in this city, there are tenfold laborers going out. That we're seeing people come to Christ all across this city, and there are new believers and disciples, and people are finding freedom and life in Christ. That is a picture of a church who not only has discipleship at its core, but as we go deeper into that heart, harvest. We go deeper into the heart of God, and we are souls that are alive, not with just some theoretical idea of who God is, not just some abstract notion or just going through the motions, but actually finding that deeper life in God that can only be found where? By going into the harvest. 
This is why we as a church, we anchor everything we do in discipleship, why we gather in order to remember the story every Sunday, why we, 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 have, we, we do life in groups to constantly be realigned to what is true in lives with one another so we don't forget. And we also form daily rhythms and habits so that we would run the race well and we engage in the harvest so that we would go deeper into the life of God. The question is, do you see them? And will you take the next step? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, for this, this just clear vision, Lord, in, in the midst of just hearing like, yeah, we should share our faith, we should talk about Jesus, we should live for you, all these phrases that we throw out. But Lord, here we have a promise that you say, I am bringing a harvest. There isn't a time stamp, but there isn't an expiration date here. And, and because you are Lord of the harvest, that means you have a heart that is constantly harvesting. If we're still here, you haven't come back. That means because there's a harvest. Lord, would you give us eyes to see the harvest that you have for us in our day? Would you see the areas where you will have us labor? Will you give us peace and contentment with our role in that laboring? Lord, would you give us conviction to move outward? Would you give us compassion? May we be a people who are tender-hearted, who care, who serve, who are merciful, but also are very clear on truth. Lord, would you give us that, that personality? Would you give us that winsomeness? Would you give us that, that presence? And Lord, would you glorify yourself through it? Lord, it's for your glory, it's for our joy, it's for the joy of our city. Would you do a harvest work in our day? Would we look back on this period of the church here in Columbia and we would say that was the day of a new harvest? A new kind of harvest that it was clear it was not them. It was not their talents, it was not their eloquence, it was not their tactics. It was because you are the Lord of the harvest and you move with compassion. And many in that city were full of joy because of it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.